Good morning, everyone. Surprise, it's me. (laughs) I appreciate Pastor Jeff giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. He's taking a well-deserved little vacation. And so he's entrusted me with sharing the word with you. And I really hope that I'm able to bring something to you today that will bless your life, that will help you, that will encourage you. This morning, I'm going to be talking about dealing with discouragement. Anyone ever get discouraged here? Oh, no one? That's great. Oh, there was one or two there. I really want to deal with a couple of very practical subjects. Last Wednesday, I had the opportunity to teach also, and I dealt with why do Christians have trials. Have you ever noticed Christians have trials? Sometimes Christians have more trials than anyone else. And so I want to invite you, if that's a subject, a topic that interests you, uh, you can listen to the podcast. And I left some of the study sheets from Wednesday night out on the table if you want to follow along, and I will list the scriptures that I shared. Now this morning we also have a study sheet. Why do I do that? Because since I don't preach or teach regularly, and I'm not going through a book and, you know, concentrating on just one or two passages, doing more of a theme thing, thing, you know, a particular topic that may be of interest, that may be very helpful to people, I sometimes use several scriptures, and I don't want people to feel overwhelmed, and I also know this is such a short time in the morning that you can take that study sheet and in your own personal devotion time, you can go through that and review it. So there is a study sheet for this morning. Uh, You won't be expelled if you don't use it. It's just basically for your use if you would like to. So I'd like to ask those people to give out those study sheets right now. Um, Yeah, that will work pretty well. As I say, you don't have to use it, of course, but I made it up as a little tool for you. So it's kind of exciting that you came out in this hot heat. It's kind of interesting. Someone posted on Facebook a picture of that mighty warrior leading the 300 or whatever movie it was. I didn't see it, but I could tell he was probably a Spartan warrior. And he says, 117 degrees... We are Arizonans, right? Did you ever feel that way? Well, anyway, on a more serious note, I'm going to stop and pray. It's very important that we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit here. We thank Nicole and the worship team for leading us in worship this morning. But I also want to pray that I don't just share with you my ideas. You don't need to hear my ideas, right? You need to hear the Word of God, but it is the Holy Spirit who takes the Word of God and makes it alive to our hearts. So don't we want a Spirit-empowered Word this morning? And sometimes the Word is great, but unfortunately the soil that it falls on isn't that good. I don't know where you're coming from. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Maybe you had a hard morning. You're going through a difficult trial in your life. I don't know. But I really want to pray that the soil of your heart would be receptive. And my goal primarily is that you leave this place with at least one thing that you can take with you and say, God really touched me. God spoke to me. Isn't that your goal also? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your anointing. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus who came to earth and paid the penalty for our sin. I thank you so much, Jesus. That was so kind, so compassionate, so loving to take the penalty for our sin. And I thank you, Father, and Jesus for sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said you wouldn't leave us as orphans when you left this earth, but you would send the Holy Spirit to be with us forever, to even live inside of us, to be constantly with us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that your anointing would fill this place. I ask you to remove any confusion, any doubts, any fears. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give me the words to speak. I ask you to just bring to mind anything you want me to share and take out of my mind anything you don't want me to share and make our hearts very receptive. Lord, let us focus on you. We give you praise. And we give you glory. We command all oppression to leave this place in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, that was my teaching. Did you enjoy it? No, No, that was my prayer. We're going to talk about dealing with discouraged. Did anyone, discouragement, did everyone get a study sheet who wanted one? If not, raise your hand, they'll get you one. Dealing with discouragement. It's kind of interesting when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent forth. And I want to ask you, what happened to the people? What happened to the disciples? We had ordinary fishermen, ordinary, very simple people who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They became very courageous. They didn't care what people said. They didn't care what people thought. They just went forth and shared the gospel. And what happened? Thousands of people got saved. Somehow, I don't think that's the common experience of our church life these days. Do you think? I think that Satan uses a very powerful tool against each one of us that is the opposite of courage. It's called discouragement. How many of you have been discouraged even this past week in some way? Right. It's very common. It's one of Satan's greatest weapons. He tries to keep us back. He tries to get us involved with our own problems. He tries to make us feel confused. He makes us feel that we want to give up. You know, you know the scenario, right? You know the routine. And discouragement can come from out of nowhere and just hit us. The definition of discouragement is basically to decrease, to decrease courage, to be faint-hearted, to lose hope. Have you ever been there and lost hope? Right? Now, there can be mild discouragement, there can be strong discouragement, and there can be disabling discouragement. And at the root of discouragement, I believe, is a fiery dart that the enemy sends forth to put fear into our lives, to put unbelief in our lives, bitterness and we become overwhelmed with self-pity. At the very root of discouragement is a lie from Satan. Now, discouragement is a disease that affects all human beings. Everyone is affected. I want you to look with me at Joshua 1, verse 9. And this is the Lord speaking to Joshua, and of course also speaking to all the people. They were getting ready to cross the Jordan into the Promised Land. Moses had died. Joshua was raised up to lead the people. And it was a mighty task. I don't think I'd want to follow in Moses' steps, kind of figure out where Joshua was coming from. And knowing that there had been reports that the giants in the land were very great. And what did God say to Joshua? And I want you to realize this is also a word for you today. Wherever you're at, wherever God has you getting ready to step into something new, I sense that several people here this morning, you have sensed a new rumbling in your heart that maybe God's calling you to do something new, to step out in a new way. But you get hit. You get hit with fear. You get hit with a lack of courage. And so I imagine this is what Joshua was going through and all the people. And this is what God said to him. This is God's word. Have I not commanded you? 
Be strong, courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You like that word? Can you receive that? Can you say even that word's for me? God said, haven't I told you? I've told you. Have you forgotten? I am God. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For I will be with you. The Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Do you sometimes have to remind yourself of that? Whatever I'm doing, wherever I am, whatever God has me facing, God is with me. God the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And so we're talking about discouragement. We're talking about the fact sometimes we know what we should do and how we should act, but we don't always do that. And so we get discouraged. I have a little list there. What causes discouragement? Number one, I'm going to talk about these a little bit more in detail, but for the moment, I'm going to list them. What causes discouragement? Number one, fatigue. Number two, frustration. Number three, failure. Number four, fear. And number five, flaming arrows. So we have fatigue, frustration, failure, fear, and flaming arrows. Let's talk a little bit about fatigue for a moment here. When you're fatigued, you're physically or you're emotionally exhausted. When you're in that state, you're a prime candidate for discouragement. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt great, things are going well, and all of a sudden you feel down? You feel discouraged, you want to give up, you say, what's the use? There's no hope. So if you are physically or emotionally exhausted, you are a prime candidate for discouragement. Your defenses are down, everything seems bleaker. I want to point out to you that it's important to remember that this could be a medical problem. In addition to a spiritual problem or an emotional problem, it could be a medical problem. If you are experiencing severe fatigue in your life, do the right thing and go to a doctor. God has raised up doctors. They help us, right? Sometimes there's something off in your system. There's something that needs to be fixed. You wonder why you're so down, why you have the blues, why there seems like there's no hope. It could be very much a medical problem. Most often, it's from overworking yourself. What are we trying to prove? We don't have to prove anything. We just have to love God, love one another, and pray and ask Him what He wants us to do. He said, my yoke is easy. He didn't say, I'm going to overwork you. He didn't say, be overly responsible. I deal with this sometimes, at least I have in the past. I'm getting a little bit better. We can feel responsible for everyone and everything. That isn't the way to go. We get overwhelmed. We overwork ourselves. We need to rest. We need to be at peace. God expects you probably to do far less than you're putting on yourself. And you know what? You could be a tool that's discouraging someone else because you're expecting too much of them too. So we're talking about fatigue, physical, emotional, exhaustion. Could be a medical problem. Have it checked out. It could be that you're overworking yourself. It could be just the enemy tearing you down. Secondly, frustration is a cause of discouragement. This happens when all your unfinished tasks pile up. You feel overwhelmed. And then, why is it that the unexpected interrupts you? Have any of you been there? I got this all plotted out. 
I got this all planned out. I'm going to take care of all this. Ding dong. It's probably more your phone. I don't know what your phone does. My wife does frogs. Kind of freaks me out all the time. (laughs) And so you have everything all set up. You're all ready to go. You've made your list of to-dos. Not God's to-dos, but your to-dos. Right? And then the unexpected happens. You get interrupted. And you feel overwhelmed. And then you feel frustrated. You're setting yourself up. Expect the unexpected. Everything doesn't have to be done right now. Some things can wait. Right? What's the third cause of discouragement? Failure. All the plans that you've made, they all fall apart. The deal falls through. No one shows up. Have you ever been there, planned something, and people didn't show up? You can feel like a failure. And just when I think I can make ends meet, someone moves the ends. And so we get a sense of failure. We've tried our very best. And let me give you a little clue here, too. God will very often let us feel that we're a failure in some way. You know why? Because He doesn't want you depending on yourself. He wants you depending on Him. And so there are a couple of causes of discouragement. Fourth one is fear. A fear of criticism. What will they think? Have you ever been there? Get over it. Get over it. Everybody is not going to like you. Everybody is not going to approve of what you do. Being a pastor for so many years, I used to get so discouraged if I heard a negative word. I think, I am trying so hard. I am doing everything right. I am working double jobs here. And then someone has some little comments of criticism. And it's like, I actually think God was using that person to give that to me because I had to deal with it and I had to give up. And my wife would always say to me, how come you always concentrate on the people you think don't like you rather than concentrating on all the people that really like you? This is particularly a problem for pastors. Keep that in mind. So I can relate with Pastor Jeff. He probably goes through that. So we have a fear of criticism. Not everybody is going to like you. Not everyone is going to approve of what you do. Even if you think you're the best person and your heart is pure and you're doing the very best that you can do, someone is not going to like it and you will probably get some criticism. What's my advice? Get over it. Get over it. Be yourself to the best of your ability. Do the right thing. Try to follow the Lord and let God deal with people. Amen? There's a fear of responsibility. There's so many people coming to churches nowadays that are waiting to get equipped. I don't know. 20 years later, they're still waiting to get equipped to do something. There's a fear of responsibility. But God doesn't want us to have a fear of responsibility. God wants us to be courageous. God wants us to turn the world upside down. God wants to send us forth with power, with anointing, with courage. People say to themselves, what if I can't handle this? Join the club. We've all found out we can't handle certain things. And you know what? There's very few people that can handle something initially. It takes time. It's a process of learning. You get better. You can't be perfect at the very beginning. How many perfectionists do we have here? And probably a perfectionist won't admit it. Because you don't want people to think you're imperfect. Many of us can be perfectionists. We want everything done right 
Let me tell you, there's a variety of ways to doing things. They can all be effective. My way is not always the best way. Your way is not always the best way. And nothing is perfect while we're living on this earth. Amen? A fear of failure, a fear of responsibility can really paralyze us. And the church can't be the church, and the individual Christian cannot be effective in his world. Number five, flaming arrows. This isn't a a song. Does anyone know about flaming arrows or fiery darts? It's very important for us to read, and I think read it at least every other day, hopefully every day, I don't know, Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. There are a lot of people who don't even take into account that there is a spiritual war going on. How many of you know there's a spiritual war? If you refuse to recognize it, you're going to be a casualty. You're going to be knocked out. Satan is looking, scheming, devising ways to discourage the church because it's his most effective weapon. He wants to discourage us so that we can't do anything for the Lord. The church just becomes a place that we sit and fellowship and learn nice things, but we never do anything for Him. He discourages us. So there are flaming arrows. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Fiery darts. He's shooting them. Amen? And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, it tells us that we have to take up the shield of faith. When these things come at us, we have to know what has God said? What has God promised? And we have to fight back with the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. That's why it's so important to have churches like this where people get to know the Word. We need to put up the shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation on. We know who we are. That's covering our minds. We know who we are. The helmet is salvation. We've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We know who we are. And we put up the shield of faith because we know we will be attacked. But we have the Word of God, and we counter the lies of the enemy. We counter the fiery darts, the flaming arrows. How many of you know what I'm talking about with a fiery dart or a flaming arrow? Have you ever been in a situation where you could feel that happen? He can fire those fiery darts through someone else. I remember a situation that I was set to minister in a place, and it was to minister healing. And, um, of course, I was praying a lot about it, thinking a lot about it. And God really moved at that service. Sometimes he'll give me a sense of what he's doing in people or in a particular person, and he did that in a remarkable way. And people were just really blessed. People were crying. They were being healed. It was just very exciting. And after that, a woman came up to me and she said, you were really doing your own thing, weren't you? I'll tell you, I felt that someone stabbed me with something right in my spirit. It was a fiery dart, and you know it's kind of hard to get out. It's almost like I could feel it there and I wanted to get rid of it, but it was grieving me. You know, that wasn't the truth at all. But it was a fiery dart. So there's been times like that in a pastoral position that I have experienced knowing when a dart came, and it came very strong and very hard. And it will take a lot of prayer sometimes to get rid of it. It will grieve your spirit. It will really bring you down. And so we have to expect that we are in warfare. We want to live in la-di-da land where everyone is happy all the time. Nothing goes wrong. Isn't that the Christian life? We never have a trial. Listen to the podcast Wednesday. We never have a trial. We never have a problem. I'll tell you what, sometimes Christians have more trials than other people. 
The Bible even speaks to that. There's a lot of scriptures, particularly book of Psalms, where David and others who wrote the Psalms talk about why do the wicked prosper? Why does everything seem to go right for them? They don't seem to have any problems. Everything is working out. It's because Satan is concentrated on those who can wreck his work. Those who can build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Those who are most effectively being used by God will most often be hit with fiery darts and flaming arrows. There's a war going on. He doesn't have to worry about those that are going to hell. He knows you can't go to hell if you're a Christian. But he does know he can make you ineffective and he won't allow you to expand the kingdom. So you need to keep that in mind, not that we get paranoid, but we are aware that we will get attacked more than non-Christians because we're a threat to the enemy. Now, what's this cure for discouragement? Rest. Take a break. If you have severe fatigue, see your doctor. Sometimes we get discouraged because there's sin in our lives that we haven't gotten rid of. So number two, remove any guilt by repentance and confession. You're going to be very discouraged. You're going to be down if there's unconfessed sin in your life because you've broken fellowship with God. Not that he's left you. But you don't have that sweet fellowship of hearing his voice in the same way or sensing his anointing in the same way. You need to remove any guilt by repentance, by confession. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from any unrighteousness. Isn't that neat? There's an if there. What do we need to do? We need to acknowledge this sin. If we confess it, he's faithful. He said he would, and he will do it. He will forgive us and cleanse us from the effects of sin. Isn't that kind of neat? And those of you that are worrying, even if you've asked forgiveness for sin, what's going to happen when you go and see him face to face? He's going to say, good job. Any sin that you've confessed will never be brought up again. Isn't that good news? It will never be brought to mind. It will never be placed before you. Because God says that he takes our sin and casts us far from the east or to the west into the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. I think that's great news, don't you? Any of you who have done some good sins in the past must be pretty excited because they'll never be brought up again. If you've confessed them and asked for forgiveness and for healing, they're gone. They will never be brought up again. Keep in mind, though, the enemy may bring it up to you. That's not God. He may bring it up and say, shut up. Get out of my face. God's forgiven me. It's gone. It's over. It's done. So we need to confess our sin, and God is faithful. He will forgive us and he will cleanse us. Any sin, you know, damages us in a little bit, in, a, in, a, in even small ways. And so we need to be cleansed from the effects of that sin. And number three, the cure for discouragement. Identify and cast down Satan's lies. You need to know when something's a lie and it's a fiery dart and it's a flaming arrow, it's coming from Satan, you need to identify what's of God and what's not of God. Identify, cast down. Ephesians 6.16 says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You really need to speak forth God's word. You need to confess it. Sometimes I find it very helpful, since Satan can't read my mind. I speak out very often and say, no, stop. In Jesus' name, that's a lie. I will not receive it. See, Satan can't read your mind. 
He can't speak to your mind. He can speak through other people. He can speak through situations. Only God knows your heart and your mind. I find it very helpful to address him. And I tell other people, if you feel oppressed, which means you feel like a heaviness has come upon you and you can't seem to shake it, I tell them it's very helpful to speak out and say, Satan, you can't attack me this way in Jesus' name. I just, I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. I tell you to go away, leave me alone. Don't harass me. And the amazing thing is people say, you know, it really works. Because you need to talk to him. Not have a nice conversation, which we so often do. But you need to tell him to stop. Get his hands off you. Remind him of whose you are. Some of the lies he tells us, he'll say to us, God has left you. God doesn't love you anymore. What does the Bible say? I will never leave you or forsake you. Which do you believe? You need to say, Satan, God has not left me, and God will love me forever, because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13.5. He'll say to us, the enemy will say to us sometimes, no good's going to come out of it. You can't work this out. You might as well give up. It's over. Forget it. And what does the Bible say? A scripture verse we should really know by heart. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good, right? For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So all things work together for good. If you love God, if you know you're called of God, does it mean that sometimes unpleasant things don't happen? Or bad things don't happen? No, it means as we turn these things over to God, He weaves these in our lives to turn it into something good. Have you ever looked back at your life and said, I wish I hadn't gone through that, that was terrible? And later on, you say, I'm actually glad I went through that because it helped me in this way. I became this, I changed or whatever. And so God is even able to take negative things and weave them together with things that we consider great and whatever, and he makes it all good. And so if the enemy tells us no good will come, you might as well give up, it's over, forget it. We remind him, Satan, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I belong to Jesus. I love God. I'm not perfect, but I love him. And I want to serve him. And he's called me. And so this is going to work out. I'm going to trust God. And he'll tell us at times, well, people hurt you. People don't hurt you. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness. Ephesians 6.23 People aren't the ones hurting you. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness. So many times we blame people, but we don't see the force behind it. And you know what? People don't offend you. You decide to be offended. You decide to be hurt. You decide to take it personally. Satan likes nothing better than to break up relationships and even stop the work of the church or stop the fellowship of believers. So we need to remember the warfare. I'm back to that again. But there are spiritual forces of wickedness. And then we'll hear a voice saying, God's punishing you. Hebrews 12, 6 says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Do you know the difference between punishment and discipline? I dealt with that a little bit on the teaching, why do Christians have trials? There's a difference between discipline and punishment. God is not punishing us. He may be disciplining us, right? Discipline is forward-looking to make us all that he wants us to be. 
to take us out of the things we wallow in. He'll put restrainers on us. He'll confine us. He'll teach us. He'll convict us. The Holy Spirit will start going into crazy overdrive, trying to tell us, don't do that. Change, change your life. Turn it around. So discipline is forward-looking to make us all that God wants us to be. Punishment is looking backwards and demanding payment for something someone has done. And so God isn't punishing us. God may be disciplining us, training us, helping us to go in the direction that he wants us to go in. Another common lie, you have no strength. You can't do this. You're too weak. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says to Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In fact, God will use you the most when there's less of you. I've looked back at my life, times I've ministered in different places, and there were times I felt so good, so on fire, so great, and I thought, what a great job I just did. God really moved. No one said anything. I don't, I don't think they got anything. And there were other times they dragged me up to the podium, placed me there. I started speaking scripture, and everyone was like, that was so profound. That was so overwhelming. <laughs> it was like, so little me, because there was nothing there. <laughs> I was just an empty shell. And God was able to speak through me. And so if you hear you have no strength, that may be a good place to be. God wants us to rely on him. Now, going back to some of the ways to deal with discouragement and how to get over it. Number four, encourage your heart in the Lord. Encourage your heart in the Lord. In 1 Samuel 30, it's kind of interesting to read that David was out with his men and they were engaged in wars or skirmishes or whatever. They were away from their camp for several days. While the men were gone, the Amalekites, one of their enemies, came and destroyed their city. They destroyed everything. Again, 1 Samuel 30. They destroyed everything. And they took all the people captive. They took everything, all the people captive. They took them off and started marching them away. And so David and his men got back. The men went berserk. Now, the Bible says they were distressed. Paraphrase would be, they went bonkers. They went berserk. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to stone David. They'd been attacked. Nothing was left. They figured, let's take the leader. He's responsible. Let's stone David. David had an interesting approach to this. Anyone remember what he did? It tells us in 1 Samuel 30, the second part of verse 6, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Isn't that kind of interesting? I think that's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Everybody's overwhelmed. Everything is lost. The men don't even respect you anymore. They want to stone you. They want to kill you. But it said... But David strengthened himself in the Lord. He talked to the Lord. He placed the problem before him, poured out his heart to him, and the Lord communicated to him. And God told David to pursue the Amalekites. Pursue them. And what do you think happened? David recovered everything. There was nothing lost they got back every person. And so when we get discouraged, it's interesting for us to talk about stoning someone, blame it on your husband, blame it on your wife, blame it on your kids, blame it on the church, blame it on your boss. We get attacked. We have difficulties. We need to follow the example of David who encouraged himself in the Lord. He communed with the Lord through his word and God spoke to him, and what happened? God told him the course of action, and David recovered everything. 
Number five, when you're discouraged, what do you need to do? Remove yourself from fearful people. It's interesting, when we're discouraged and we're down, it's like all the discouraged and down people have kind of magnets on themselves and they all get attracted to one another and they gather in a little corner and they start hashing out how bad life is and it's terrible, it'll never get better. Know what I'm talking about? Hope you're not wearing one of those magnets today. But you need to remove yourself from fearful people. You don't need to have a pity party. Have any of you ever been there where you just knew the right people to go to and boy, they would let you really wallow in your self-pity, really wallow in your discouragement, right? You need to remove yourself from fearful people. And particularly in our battle, in this Christian battle, we need to surround ourselves with different people other than those fearful. In Deuteronomy 20, verse 8, interesting verse there, talking about when they were going to war to take portions of the promised land, it says, Then the officers shall speak further to the people, and they shall say, Who is the man who is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he not, may not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. Isn't that kind of interesting? And so you weren't allowed to go to war if you were afraid or you were faint-hearted, because your attitude would rub off on other people in a very negative way. So remove yourself from fearful people. Don't follow the discouragement magnet and meet in little corners of the room or whatever and just have a pity party. Remove yourself from fearful people because people who are fearful and discouraged and faint-hearted are going to affect you in a negative way. You can pray for them, but don't go to their pity party. Number six, surround yourself with wise, courageous people. This is the opposite here. Be around people that build you up, who fill you with courage, who speak great things to you, who tell you you can do it, you can make it. You're going to be okay, right? So surround yourselves with wise, courageous people. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another. Number seven, when you're very discouraged, avoid major decisions. We have a tendency sometimes if we're down, we're discouraged, we want to give up, we decide to change everything. We decide to quit our marriage. We decide to quit our church. We decide to quit our jobs. If you're discouraged and you're down, avoid major decisions. So you have time to commune with the Lord, get around some other courageous people, some wise people, Talk with them before you make any major decisions. Because we have a tendency to give up too early. It tells us in Galatians 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Many times when I was pastoring a church, I would feel like, oh, I'm trying so hard, we should be growing bigger and bigger, and... Everybody says the church is great and I don't know what's happening or whatever. And I'd whine. Good thing I didn't whine to other people. But I did whine to the Lord and I had my little pity party with him because he could handle it. And he would say to me, persistence is the key. Persist. I think, nice, that's a great word. I told you how bad I'm doing and you just say, don't give up. But that is the key. For many things we face, we can feel discouraged. We need to persist. We will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Number eight, avoid the pride of not saying you need prayer. 
This surprises me so much, I guess because I like to pray with people and I want to lift up people. And I want to encourage people. People will tell you their sad story of everything going wrong in their lives and they never say, would you pray for me? It's like, hello? And I always say, may I pray for you? Because prayer changes things. And so we want to appear good to everyone else. We don't want to appear weak. We don't want to appear vulnerable because people may take advantage of us. You know what? Sometimes people will. But you can get to know people that are wise, people that you can trust. You don't entrust your heart to everyone. But you should know people you can really turn to, and they will help you, and they won't blab all over the place, and they won't uh, share with others your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses. But I think very often we need to ask for prayer. It builds fellowship. Haven't you found that you've had greater fellowship with people you pray for? Right? Pick wise people. Ask for prayer. Go to the leaders of your church. Go to other people. Someone you're sitting next to you really respect. As a Christian, ask that person for prayer. Amazing what it can do. Number nine... Focus on your position in Him. Do you know who you are? You're King's kids. You belong to Him. You can trust Him. You're just... It's amazing. God has taken the weak people of this world, like us, and made us His family. He's with us. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In addition to asking other people that you can trust for prayer, approach the throne of grace. It's not the throne of judgment for Christians. It is the throne of grace, the place of undeserved merit, the place where you can go and ask for what you need and you will not be refused. And so know who you are. Approach the throne of grace with confidence. Some people, oh, I'm such a worm. You won't want to help me. You know, why don't you grow up? So you know who you are. I don't mean approach with arrogance, but approach with confidence. He's my God. He sees me at my worst. He knows I'm not perfect, but he accepts me. And he'll help me. Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm having a problem with this. You know, I know you know it anyway, but I'm telling you, I recognize it. And I agree with you, this is not a good thing. But I need your help. I need your mercy. And he will always help you. How many of you know he will always help you? Always, always, always. And lastly, remember that God is working for your good. We talked about this before. It's good repeating. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love God who have been called according to his purpose. That's a lot of stuff we went over, but I want to ask you, is there one thing at least that God spoke to you this morning? Something you want to remember? If there is, make a mental note right now. I don't want to forget that. I want to remember that. That was very important. God was speaking that to me. And I need to keep that in mind. And I want to take a moment here. Again, thank you for your attentiveness. I want to pray. I want to take a moment to pray. If anyone is courageous enough to admit maybe you've been dealing with some discouragement, I want you to stand up. I'd like to pray for you. And also, as we do that, if you see someone standing up, just put your hand on the person next to you and pray for them as I pray for all of us. We all have bad times. We all have down times. 
I have to get used to letting people pray for us. I'll pray, of course, for everybody, but I want to specifically pray for you if you're admitting this morning you have been dealing with some discouragement. Stand up for a moment. Let me pray for you. And if you see someone standing up there, just reach out your hand. Amen? Don't be afraid to admit you need help. We're not, we're not taking a video of the congregation to see who has discouragement. This is between you and God. You don't want to stand up if someone next to you ask them if they want you to pray for them. We're just going to ask God to move here. Father, we come before you. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we praise you. And we thank you. I thank you, God, that you're really going to move in a special way today. Lord, for those that are down, that are discouraged, and there's others here too. Some people here are thinking about people at home that are very discouraged. Pray for that person right now that's on your mind. Father, we ask you to lift that heaviness, that oppression. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask you, Lord, bring your refreshment. Bring your peace. Lord, we thank you, and we bless you, and we give you all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you really believe God is good all the time? And God is always willing to help us. Amen? One thing we should always keep in mind, too is that we can't always assume that everyone sitting in church is a Christian. Maybe you're interested in Christianity, maybe you know some Bible, but you've never really surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. It's very simple. You just have to confess that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for your sin. He was raised from the dead. You need to say, I believe that, and I receive his gift of salvation. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't prepare yourself for it. You can't get yourself ready for it. Many people say, let me get my act in order before I accept the Lord. You can't do it. You'll never be there. You'll never accept him. Father, I pray for those that may not know you this morning. I pray, Father, that they would be courageous enough to say, I really do need to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I do believe that he died on the cross for my sin, that he's been raised from the dead, and I do accept, Jesus, your gift of salvation. And I thank you so much. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you very much. Pastor Jeff will be back Wednesday, so don't forget to come to the Wednesday service. We'll look forward to seeing you. Have a great day.